Welcome back to another You Centered podcast, and I have been waiting for this one for over a month. Um, it's very exciting to me because the three guests I have either work for me now or work for me in a previous life, and they're going to introduce themselves. But I do have today Nick Savaris, uh, one of our former outside basketball summer stars, um, and he is presently the executive director of the Doug Flutie Jr. Foundation on Autism. And you're going to hear a little bit more from him. We also have Lauren Sanford, who is our present adventure and recreation coordinator. Lauren started in June, and her previous life was she actually worked for the Saugus Public School System, uh, working one-on-one with autistic students. So we're going to hear her take on that. And last but not least, we have Lauren Del Paggio Perry, um, also another former summer employee we had back in her previous life. And Lauren's come in and graciously agreed to talk a little bit from the parent perspective on autism of having an autistic child. Um, so a welcome to all three of you. Excited to be here. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you for having us. Why don't we start with Nick, who's probably going to spend a few seconds telling us about his high school basketball <laughs> days. But uh, Nick, who is Nick Savarese and what are you doing now? Um, I, I'm Nick Savarese. I grew up here in North Andover and um, graduated North Andover High in 96, spent a lot of time here. Uh, it was The youth center wasn't here when I was a kid. Sure. It was a red barn and a basketball court and an old house, but uh, worked for you back in the day, mid-90s, I guess it was, and um, you know, really enjoyed my time growing up in North Andover, and at, later on in my career, I think I can kind of think back to how growing up here really guided me into the career I have today because you know you were running youth programs and so I actually moved out to Colorado and I kind of took for granted that North Andover has youth programs and not all towns have it I figured every town had things sure. that we had growing up and so when I saw the school I worked in in Colorado not having opportunities for these kids with autism and other disabilities it was kind of second nature for me to think about organizing after school activities because I had grown up seeing it sure. here, you know? And so um, I got into working, supporting uh, kids with disabilities, uh, taught a little bit in the schools, or I did had a similar role that Lauren here had in Saugus, uh, did employment for people with disabilities, worked at Special Olympics for a while, moved back here, mo- moved to North Andover just a few yeah. months ago, but moved back to Massachusetts about 12 years ago, and I've always worked in this field, and now I'm working at the uh, Doug Flutie Jr. Foundation for Autism. Awesome. We're going to hear more about actually the work of the foundation in a few minutes. Lauren Sanford. Hi. Um, so I currently work here since June, like Rick said, as the Adventure Recreation Coordinator. Um, before that, I spent three years at Saugus Public School Systems in the elementary school. Um, I do, did ABA um, for kids with autism. And as well as that, I did adaptive exercise for a couple of months no no a year sorry um for kids who had autism kind of to get them moving have them do something different and they seemed to love it and it was an awesome program yeah and you we're going to talk a little bit about how you brought some of that skill back here to the youth center and last but not least lauren del paggio perry i have to keep saying del paggio because i don't want to give uh, Mark Perry, all the credit on this. Lauren was very talented before she married that guy. So, Lauren, who are you? I'm Lauren. Um, like Rick said, I am. Um, I'm actually a transplant. I've been in North Andover since I was in high school, but my husband's been here his whole life. Um, I have five wonderful kids now. Um, my oldest um, was diagnosed with autism when he was four. Um, so we've been going through this. He'll be ten next month. So, wow. um, so we've been on this journey for a little while now. But um, 
I like we said, I used to work. I was back at the old summer fun days when yeah. we were just at Drummond, and then our first year we branched out to the Atkinson, and um, so I have a lot of great memories of uh, of summers here and and Rick's kids when they were younger too. So yeah. Lauren's still one of my my son's favorite counselors he ever had here. So, well, again, thank you guys for coming. I want to start with you, Nick. Um, can you talk a little bit about? I mean, we all know everybody who follows sports in in New England knows Doug Flutie, uh, and the story of his son with autism. Um, tell us a little bit of work about the work the foundation does. Sure. So yeah, we were founded by Doug and Lori Flutie uh, about 21 years ago after their son Doug Jr. was diagnosed with autism, and what happened was they. Uh, couldn't find services for their son and they sort of thought to themselves you know here we are you know again Doug Flutie for the younger listeners who might not know you know it's kind of a sports legend here and played professional football for over 20 years has you know some means financial means has some level of celebrity and they thought if we can't get services for our child what are these other families you know they, they had connections and these other families didn't so they really started it with the goal in mind of just helping families live in the now you know it wasn't about research which is necessary sure but you know really expensive and um, it wasn't necessarily about government advocacy it was really about getting support into the hands of families right now and so now 21 years later we're really trying to stay true to that so you know we have a few different programs but primarily we have a number of different programs but they really boil down into two things Direct financial support to families. I think Lauren can probably attest the additional financial um, repercussions is probably the wrong word, but just, um, you know, there's financial challenges that come with getting services. So, you know, we have programs where we provide direct financial support to families, whether they need their kid to go to camp or they need a fence in their backyard because they're child tends to wander or whatever I saw that that was just a recent one right yeah yeah we yeah yeah, we we do a lot of that sort of stuff Uh, really just trying to get support into the hands of people as quick as we can and that sort of thing and then so we have direct financial support and then we have a big grants program where we provide grants to schools organizations Um, it can be technology support it can be employment training whatever it is that helps people uh, with autism you know live their day-to-day better how old is Dougie Jr. now? He's about, I think he's 27, 28. Okay. Yeah. And so the foundation over the years has sort of grown with Dougie, right? Sure. So it used to be all about kids. And we still want to stay true to, to kids. But the Flutie family has observed the challenges that exist. You know, I'm sure you've heard after the age of 21 when there's no more school support and all that sort of stuff, the different challenges that happen for, for adults with autism as well. Right. And you're, you're the executive director, but I do see Doug and his wife are very upfront on this, uh, not, just the, not just the events and the photo shoots, but they're still living this very seriously, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the only difference now is they've moved down to Florida full time. Correct. And so uh, they're not, they're not, you know, we're primarily New England. We do a little bit of work in Florida because they've moved there, but we're primarily a Northeast. And we do some national stuff too, but really we're a Northeast right. New England charity. And so... Um, yeah, they're really involved. They're wonderful people, just really down to earth, and they just want to. Um, they look at this as Dougie's legacy. Doug Doug Flutie Senior is like, I have a legacy. I won the Heisman Trophy. Sure. You know, I've done all this stuff on the football field. But they want Doug Junior to have a legacy of kind of helping so many families and people with autism. Truly incredible, uh, Lauren. Let me turn to you as a mother of an autistic child. Um, do you find that there are appropriate services? How was it, you know, Nick just talked a little bit about when the Fluties first started, obviously being very famous people. Um, how has the challenge been for you since the diagnosis? And um, your child now is how old? Almost He's 10, nine. I think He's you said. He's almost 10. Almost 10. Yeah, so. so how were those challenges for you? 
Well, I think it's, I think in the beginning, at least for me, and I don't know how this is for most parents, Logan was also my first child. Mm -hmm. So I think it was very overwhelming because I was trying to find my footing as a parent. And then you add in trying to find your footing as a parent of a child that has clearly different challenges than other children their age. And so you're sort of trying to get into, get comfortable with your own intuition as to how to parent a child. And then you add in these extra challenges. And so it was... I think that was the big challenge too is you know there are so many people you need to go see and autism is largely a subjective diagnosis there's no blood test there's no x-ray sure. there's no you know you know we can tell based on the you know facial features whatever hey, this is definitely what's going on so in the beginning for us there were a lot of appointments because people weren't they didn't feel like they were sure you know because development when you're young there is such a wide range um but certainly he had red flags. Um, so I think going to lots of different doctor's appointments and sort of that anxiety of, am I going to the right places? Am I getting the right support? Am I getting the right opinion? Um, because certainly in the beginning, if I'm being totally honest, I, I wasn't going looking for an autism diagnosis, you know? I was going looking for someone to tell me, yeah, you know what, there are some things he's not doing that he should be, but it, everything's gonna be okay. You know, it's your first time parent, this is your first baby, it feels like that's what you wanna hear. Um, but the, once we realized, I think the reality was that he did need support, even if we didn't know largely that autism was at play. Um, it was finding the right providers, um, making sure insurance would cover it. I mean, I still remember um, very clearly when he was two, I had to appeal all the way up to the state level to get occupational therapy services covered for him because my health insurance didn't want to cover it. I, you know, you're spending hours going through, you know, different phone channels doing whatever. And it's a very frustrating process because I think, and I don't know if other parents would share the sentiment, but I was thinking, you know, this isn't really what I want to be doing on my Saturday mornings is, you know, driving far away to go to occupational therapy, fighting with health insurance, whatever. I mean, this is, we have struggles that are leading us down this road. And so the challenge of just getting us to the actual service that he needs felt like sort of salt in a wound. Um, but I think if you have good support and you always remember that you know your kid best, I mean, I think you'll find your way, but I don't think it's a, at least 10 years ago, it didn't feel like there was a clear roadmap. I think now uh, there may be some more support for parents in navigating that, but it was certainly a learning curve for us. So obviously I, I sense there was some anxiety and frustration during this whole period, especially from the diagnosis. And sure. obviously as you be, you know, fighting with insurance companies is not a fun job. Um, no. You know, having to drive to different services is tough. Let me ask you, as being um, obviously a wife and a mother, you have four other children and a husband. What kind of challenges did it pose the family model itself? Um, well, it's, it's certainly, I think, and I think even now we've probably learned how to manage it better, but it's still a balancing act is making sure that you're getting, that we're getting our oldest what he needs because he needs more than his siblings do and more than other kids his age, but making sure that we still balance that with meeting the needs of our other kids and not having them feel, for lack of a better term, that sort of that their nose is getting pushed in, that we need to prioritize what's going on with your brother over what might be going on for you. Um, and I hope we're doing a good job of that. I don't know if 10 years from now, if all of my other kids will agree with that, but I certainly hope so. Um, but I also think that, um, particularly in our case, I've always felt that having a larger family, that having these siblings for him has been probably the greatest thing we could have done for him. I mean, 
all of the other services and costs and driving, notwithstanding, which was a challenge, I think being part of a big family, because there are some things, and especially for a lot of kids on the spectrum, sort of that social inferencing, that intuition that this is appropriate, that being this close to you is appropriate, that talking about this topic is appropriate, is not something that comes as naturally to them, certainly not something that comes very naturally for my son. Um, I think the sort of the best people to sometimes help you recognize that are siblings because they have no problem, you know, giving you the highs, you know, take a step back. I don't want to talk about that right now. We've already had that conversation. You know, they do a really nice job, I think, of helping him to recognize and learn things that would be really hard for him to learn in other situations. Because as, as nice of a job as schools and other places do of inclusion, and not that this is a bad thing, you know, other kids are sort of polite or will sort of tiptoe around social missteps because nobody wants to be that person. And, and I appreciate that. I totally appreciate that because I would never want another kid to make Logan feel bad. But there are some things that you need to learn, that you need to understand that, hey, this amount of personal space isn't enough. That's not appropriate. It makes some people feel uncomfortable. Or this topic of conversation, it's okay if you want to talk to us about that at home, but this is how other people might feel about it and why you might not want to broach it in this situation. Um, and so I think from that perspective, they've been really good for him on that front. And I hope that as they grow, that they will continue to acknowledge how much of a positive impact he's had on their life, because I think he's taught all of us a lot of tremendously valuable lessons that we wouldn't have learned otherwise. And I hope that, like I said, when it's all said and done, that they really feel that value from it and that it doesn't ever feel like, well, gee, mom and dad really, you know, we're giving him so much more time and attention. Sure. That's great. Let me ask you, we're going to come back to Lauren and Nick in terms of community sport and what we need to do better. Uh, I'm a believer that we need to look in our window all the time and uh, we need to always keep improving. Lauren, you came from the Saga school system working more on a one-on-one -on -one with kids on the spectrum. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what was that experience life? And, and I'd like to hear a little bit like the challenges, uh, like Lauren's talking a little bit, but also you've had some great stories that have made us laugh here about the rewards of working with some kids on the spectrum. Some thoughts on that? Um, so working in the school system was really unique because it's not like it was a private school where everybody there had special needs. Um, they have neurotypical kids. They have kids who have autism. We have Down syndrome. We have a lot of different diagnoses there. And sometimes it was so hard because walking down the hallway could be a real challenge and we saw it we understood the classmates the other teachers were fine with it but then you had a third grade class walking by and they're looking at them weird and they're like why is he doing that why isn't he just walking to class and that was so hard because again you don't want to say the wrong thing to those kids but you want to you get so frustrated um, there were so many times that I want to be like, just keep walking. Like, there's nothing to see here. When you get upset, you cry. When he gets upset, he wants to lay on the floor. Like, there's different ways to show emotions. But like you said, some kids just don't get it. And they'll try to be nice about it. But then there's some kids that just don't understand. And it was so frustrating. Um, you also had the teachers that were old school. And they look at these kids and they're like, just outplace them. And that's what broke my heart the most, that we are here working so hard. We had a kid who was nonverbal, and um, he had an iPad to talk. Slowly, 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 he found his voice. When he read um, Brown Bear, Brown Bear, we all lost it because um, 
you can just see how hard these kids work. And it's very, very aggravating when other teachers don't see it because they just see what happens in the hallway. They don't take the time to come and meet the kids that are in their class. And it's horrible, um, really horrible to experience that. However, being in the classroom and seeing and working with these kids is phenomenal. You see them learn um, how to tie their shoes. You see them learn uh, anything, putting on their t-shirt by themselves, putting on their socks and shoes, uh, reading a book, learning sounds, emotions. Like It's the most incredible thing that you could ever imagine, and you helped like do that. Um, it's sad because school administration and the people above you they don't really see these kids as kids they see them as dollar signs so a lot of times they don't get what they need our classroom was fortunate um, to have a lot of resources we had a bcba that they contracted out uh, we had lead teachers who were extremely knowledgeable but there was other classrooms that kind of just got put to the wayside they had um I don't know how to say it. Um, they just had people that weren't the best. I don't know. I don't want to yeah, step right. on toes. But being able to see the good side of how much we were helping them and how incredible it was when they finally reached inclusion, even if it was just a story time and attendance, to being able to do the math that is grade level or... Um, doing an oral report on the solar system that like made it worth it and made putting up with all the arrogant older people and students that just didn't understand but they didn't understand it because parents weren't exposing them to it um, I think that's what made it so good and so bad I'm sure. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I want to ask you, Nick, as the executive director of a foundation um, that focuses on autism, you've now just heard a mother's perspective of, of raising a kid from diagnosis to some of the challenges. You've just heard a professional in the field that, um, and I can tell she, she's got some frustrations of being a teacher and some of the restrictions, but also the joy that she got out of it. What, what do you What do you take from these two and Tell me what's the foundation doing to even address some of those issues, even on a bigger scale. Sure. Um, well, first of all, the, uh, it was kind of inspiring hearing both of your stories. And I, I want to say that I, I know Logan, your, your son, and he's an awesome, awesome kid. And he just brings, I, you know, I coach him on the soccer field. He brings so much joy to people around him. Um, I love him. He's a great kid. I miss him not coaching soccer this year. It's kind of a bummer. <laughs> now I got sidetracked on my thought process. But yeah, these are not, um, while these stories uh, are so poignant and, and heartfelt, they're, they're also not, unfortunately, they're, they're the norm in a lot of ways, you know? And, um, and what we see a lot of times is kids who might not have a wonderful mother, like, well, no, that's the wrong way to put it, a, a mother who knows how to navigate the system. So, for example, a lot of the things we're hearing about are from, like, the immigrant communities. Um, parents who might be coming here who might not know 
you know, they didn't grow up here, so they don't know how to navigate insurance companies and the government or, or whatever it is, or there might be a language barrier, cultural issues. So it's, you know, how do these families, uh, you know, you, you got Logan the services he needs because you fought and you know how to navigate these systems. A lot of parents out there don't know how to navigate it. So a lot of our partnerships right now that we're focusing on, um, there's the Autism Insurance Resource Center. It's out of Worcester, uh, UMass Worcester. Um, and they're, they're about trying to get in into these gateway communities to really provide information to, to these families who, who don't know how to navigate the system. Um, so I'm not sure if exactly that yields uh, sort of what you're looking for. And then an example uh, to you, Lauren, from the schools. Similarly, uh, last year I visited two schools in the same week. One was this private autism school that had just every single, you know, the nicest place you'll ever walk in. Sure. And then visited Lawrence High School for Exceptional Studies like two days later and see the resources that they have. And it's like, wow, it's sort of like night and day in terms of same kids, same great kids, same dedicated teachers, same dedicated aides, but the level of support is night and day. Does the Flutie Foundation have analytics on how, how many kids are diagnosed on the spectrum? Do we have any idea? On yeah, that? I mean, I think what it was one in 68 a few years ago. Now they're saying one in 59. Really? Or is I've, it, seen, is it, I've seen as high as one in 36 in boys. Yeah, and boy, yeah. And so, and the projections <laughs> are it's. It's um, what's the word? It's it's going to be more prevalent moving forward. So, yeah. yeah, you know, and so for funding systems to keep up and uh, support systems to keep up, it's a big challenge. Sure. Let me ask you, Lauren, um, Lauren Perry. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we look at the town of North Andover. You've grown up here pretty much. You know, right. you came here in high school, and obviously Mark lived here his entire life, and Nick's back here, which we're very excited about. Um, what can we as a community, what do we do well? What do we need to do better? And I'm not just talking school system. I'm talking, you know, even the youth center, youth sports, as we talked offline. Like, what would you like to see as a parent of a 10-year-old boy right now? Uh, what could we do better? Well, so it's a, it's a big question. <laughs> there are a lot of things that I think North Andover does a really nice job of. Um, I think that housing the program for children with autism in the Franklin School has allowed specifically that community, and that's the one I can speak to because I haven't sure. been in any of the elementary schools, but to be a really welcoming place for children, especially children with special needs. I think because the staff there, both regular and special education, have housed this program for as long as they have, that there is a, a unique talent that a lot of them have to, to working with children of all ability levels, and I think that that has been a really wonderful thing for Logan um, because he loves he love love loves going to school and I can't tell you how grateful I am sure. um, that he loves to go to school um, and there are some really nice programs in town like Nick mentioned the um, the Challenger soccer program um, Logan's done the basketball program and forgive me I'm, I'm blanking on the name of it but it was here at, it's been Crusaders. Here at the, the Crusaders yeah. that's what it is it's been here at the Youth Center um, and then Mike Bono has been amazing with the Challenger baseball program in the spring and he's enjoyed participating in, in all of those um, I think outside of school the challenge is finding opportunities and from my perspective for kids with autism to participate in some activities that their peers can do because I think it goes a long way not only for the kiddos on the spectrum but for the other children to see them in the, through a different lens. I mean, you see them in school, you see that they get services that they may have a harder time with transitions or different things in the school day, but I think the opportunity to see them in a recreational setting and see, oh, they're kids just like us. Oh, they still like 
you know, the video game room at the youth center or to play basketball or to do any of these things, I think can be, do such a nice job of sort of leveling the playing field a little bit for these kids because they are all kids at the end of the day and they may express themselves differently or have different interests or different ways of showing those interests. But really, I think there's a, they have a lot more in common than probably a lot of people would think from first glance um, and giving them opportunities to show that in, you know, in sort of a safe way with supports or, you know, programs that are tailored to allow them to access it uh, would go such a long way for them and for the community. I mean, I um, like I had touched on before, I feel like our, our family in particular and a lot of the people whose lives Logan have touched have learned a lot of really meaningful and wonderful things from him and, and I know that's biased because he's my son but sure. um, and I think that those opportunities for learning and growth are there for so many of these kids and I think there's so much we can all take from them um, and if there's anything I've learned just specifically because I've spent most of my time working with Logan you know through the school system is that a lot of things that I think people at least in the past and I hope this is starting to shift have looked at as per perhaps autism specific accommodations or things are things that can actually really be meaningful to a lot of kids, lot of kids. Um, because like I said there's a really common thread that runs you know through kids and that includes kids with challenges and kids without and I think if we could embrace that more and recognize that a little bit more I, I think it could sort of raise the level of consciousness for all of us um, you know not just the kids that need the support and Nick from the foundation standpoint um, <clears throat> I, I assume that the awareness is something you guys are still pushing and, and trying to get it I, I, I didn't know that the um, more of an immigrant population um, is needing the services almost more than anybody right now but um, what is the foundation doing in terms of just keeping this awareness at the front I mean we try to you know do what we can right we have a big presence on social media I think we have like 40,000 Facebook fans or whatever it is we, you know again it started back with Doug because he has this brand so to speak sure um, we have a voice and we have a platform so you know we do what we can to sort of share um, share the stories that families face you know we also we try to get on tv every once in a while i think you saw um we shared the story of the the fence online yeah. well the, what happened was this family in milton they had a child with autism and he loves all the toys out in his yard and some of these neighbors wrote like a nasty letter saying yeah. you know your your yard is an eyesore you know take it down or whatever so oh. we yeah terrible right so we try to be nimble and just mm -hmm. respond to things like that so we reached out to the family and we actually didn't want to do a fence because we didn't want the neighbors to win right. the battle. Right. But we, you know, we didn't want them to think that their letter, you know, caused this. So, anyways, but we reached out to the family and said, "What do you need?" And they said, "We'd really like a fence because our kid runs around." So, we, fence. There it is. We gave them a fence. Uh, you know, we provided, uh, you know, the funds so that they could get a fence sure. installed or whatever it is. And so we try to share these stories as best we can through the media, through social media, just so. Um, families know that you know there are other families like them out there and mm -hmm. and the general public knows that uh you know autism affects so many different families and you know so many people and we need to be here to support them yeah and i uh, obviously personal friends here with nick but i i really recommend people to follow the foundation's um social media pages and there's obviously other autistic um social media pages to call but there's a lot of great things that are happening and I mean, that was a heart-wrenching story for me to listen to, and I'm watching it on social media, and I know when that you're at the forefront of this, but, you know, I just, I got angry when I started hearing about the neighbors, you know, yeah. how they were belittling the situation, and uh, 
I hear what you're saying about uh, you know you don't want to give in to the neighbors, but in in the long run, that's what the family wanted was a fence. Yeah, anyway. so, so what we're gonna so yeah. a great thing. On well, that. I will say though that you know what I what I like hearing about what you guys are doing here is we're in a different generation now, right? Sure. The kids that you're working with now at the youth center, like when I was growing up, there wasn't inclusion, right. there wasn't any of this. So the people, the neighbors who wrote that nasty letter, they were from from our generation or above. Sure. The, the kids who are now growing up playing soccer with Logie or going to right. class or the you know the kids that you're working with here at the youth center you know the young generation gets a bad rep but I'm really optimistic about kind of the future as it relates to inclusion and yeah it's it's very sensitive here so that actually is a good tie into my question for Lauren Sanford so one of the reasons we wanted to hire Lauren when, when this position available was her experience of actually working with kids on the spectrum one of our goals the last 15 years is to make the youth center all inclusive and I think we've done a really good job. I, I told you guys offline that, you know, we have kids here in the afternoon that are have one-on-ones in school, and then they come here with no support services, and uh, my wonderful staff does a great job. Um, but we've done a really good job of trying to include that. Um, back when Lauren and Nick were part of here, like I told you offline, I mean, we I dealt with a lot of the popular athletic kids as well as the other extreme kids who are having, you know, criminal problems and things like that. But now we've become very all-inclusive how have you brought your skill here lauren to to working with kids and the interesting thing is some of your skills of working with autistic kids has helped us with just kids that aren't autistic too um so what i think i've brought here that is so helpful is that i'm kind to everyone um no matter what the kid is doing no matter how they're behaving and I'm not talking about um, kids on the spectrum, just kids coming to camp. Um, that's one of the most things. You always have to treat them with respect, exactly how you would want to be treated. Um, I think it's exciting to see all types of different kids come to the rec center and feel safe and have their parents um, want them to be here. Sometimes it is tough because you can't keep a direct eye on every kid at the same time but forming those relationships with these kids and seeing the high school students also build these relationships and the kids leaving happy and so that's a good point leading to what nick said we're amazed here at the youth center in this day and age right now how um kids are so protective of some of the kids that have whatever disability it might be or whatever. They're the first to let us know if there's something we should probably keep an eye on. Uh, they befriend them. They're really good to the kids. And uh, I got to be honest with you, nothing against Lauren and Nick's generation and definitely my generation. People weren't that nice. And to, to Lauren's point, the respect is huge. Mm -hmm. I think even seeing their peers kind of bring them in and play. They had a drawing competition the other day and um, they weren't going easy. It was equal playing fields, which is what you want. And um, but they hold their own, you know. Um, you see them intermingling, playing basketball, um, playing all these games, and I love to see it. I always go over. You have to be the example. Um, have kind of draw some kids in to want to play with them. Um, and I hope that it only gets better. I hope that parents seeing this, talking, um, even here in this podcast, will want to bring their student, their kids here, and we can only grow from that. Absolutely. And as I said before we even started this podcast, 
we're going to have to wrap this up. We could probably talk for hours. Uh, all three mm -hmm. of you are unbelievable. I do want one more question to Lauren Delpaggio Perry, and then I want to give all three of you the final word. Lauren, best day, worst day as a parent with autism? Um, well, I don't mean to, I don't want to sound too uh, cliche here, but I think probably, I don't, I don't, I'm going to try and shy away from worst day, but I would say yeah, probably I, I, let me change that. hardest Challenging day, day. I think hardest day was probably diagnosis day because it sort of takes the culmination of all of the anxiety, all the appointments, all of the what if this, what if that, whatever, and sort of puts it all in black and white and hard print right in front of you. And you realize this is our reality. And so we have to take this and where we go from here is up to us. And I feel incredibly fortunate that we had the um, provider that we did diagnose him because I think she took what was going to inevitably be one of the most difficult moments of our life and not, I feel like the best way I can say it is not make it worse because there's really no way to couch that. There's no, you know, there's, I don't think there's really a spin you can put on it. It's the reality of where you are with your kid and it's a really hard thing as a parent to hear. Um, but I think if you can hear it in a really compassionate and wonderful way, which we had the privilege of doing, it sort of gives you the opportunity to sort of build up some hope and, and be able to create a path forward, even if it only, even if you only take it one day, okay, how am I going to get to tomorrow now that things have changed? But I felt like we were really fortunate with that. And um, I would say the best day for me, we were told when Logan was diagnosed at four that he would never be verbal. He had an iPad. I'm telling you, the kid was like a, a monkey. The things he could do with that iPad still tucked. I mean, he took it everywhere with him because it was his voice. He could do the monkey bars at school with that thing tucked under one arm. <laughs> it went everywhere with him. Um, but the day that he, I heard him speak for the first time. Because even after we were told, I know we were both still laying in bed every night praying, please like let us hear his voice one day. And um, it was the month after he turned six. And um, it, it was a really poignant time for us because our third born um, was born that same year and she started talking the same time he did. And she was like 10 months old and he it was like the month yeah. after he turned six. So it was a really, really beautiful, really emotional time for me as a mother. But, um, but getting the opportunity to hear him speak felt like a dream come true. That's incredible. Thank you for sharing that. I'm going to give you all three the final word, just something brief you'd want to say to our listeners. And our listeners, I, I know there'll be a lot of people, parents uh, like Lauren, they'll be listening to us, a lot of school personnel, people working with autistic kids, uh, youth center staff, as well as we have a great following of high school kids that love our podcast and love learning. And I think we've learned a lot today. Lauren Sanford, what would be your final word to our listeners? Um, so from a teacher perspective, my final words were, would be to stay compassionate, be kind, um, and just be patient because when you're patient with them, they will know that you care and that's going to make a world of a difference to them always. Thank you. And Nick, how about you, you know, coming from a guy living in town and we are very happy you're back in town and your it's kids like to are going to be involved with the youth center here. Um, but you, as you go back to your work with the Doug Foodie Jr. Foundation, what would be your final word to the people that are listening to this podcast today? Sure. I mean, I think Lauren really just said it, which is be kind. And then, you know, I think because you and the schools here are doing such a great job to build inclusion into the community, I would say to the kids who are part of that, that whether they're the kids with autism or their typical peers, is take that on your journey with you, right? So when you go to college or you go into the work world, 
don't forget that inclusion piece. Remember that because these kids are all, you know, growing up with you. And if you can take that kindness, that compassion and those, uh, that, op- you know, optimistic uh, outlook with you to include people with autism, it'll just make your life better and the world a better place. Absolutely. And we're going to give the final word to the mom. Um, Lauren, you're amazing. Um, I think you're doing a great job advocating for your son and raising your entire family. And being married to Mark is not easy either. Uh, yeah, that's um, what I've been thinking this whole podcast. <laughs> Wait, Mark landed Lauren. Exactly. Sorry. <laughs> so, Lauren, what would you like to say to the people that are listening to this? Um, well, I'd like to say thank you if you're listening. Um, and thank you for having me. Um, it certainly feels like a unique privilege. I feel like anytime if I ever have an opportunity to get something good out into the world um, about autism or something that is helpful to somebody, I'm certainly very grateful to that. Um, And I think the thing that I think about a lot on this journey is that I feel like Logan has helped me see some of the best and some of the worst that society has to offer. And I think that if you can, if I can remember to step back and sort of let him be my guide. It gets it, it gets hard sometimes because you feel like you always want to fix everything. You want to be one step ahead of everything. You know, you want to let this person know that they could, you know, that he needs this or you could do that. But I, I think that the times that I've allowed myself to, to quiet myself and step back and, and let him be my guide and, and look at all of the good he's brought into my life and, and the people that he's touched and the, and the people that we have met and I feel privileged to call honorary parts of our family now. Um, that I, you really do see that there's a lot of beauty in this world. Um, and I'm always going to be grateful for that. So well said. I hope uh, our listeners out there really appreciated this, um, this conversation. And again, we could be talking for a few more hours. Um, this is a little emotional for me. I've, I've gotten to know Lauren in the last few months working for me, and our journey is going to continue here. But when I look across the table here and see... Um, Nick and Lauren, uh, you guys have been amazing. You guys have grown up to be very successful people, raising wonderful families, and glad that you're both in this town doing that. And uh, continued success to you guys. And uh, in honor of those old summer days, um, we should probably have the backdrop right now of Pearl Jam's Black playing very loud uh, for everybody. But um, it's been awesome. Continued success to all of you guys. Um, for those people uh, that are listening, uh, we're, we're scheduled every Friday. we got a lot of great things coming up, some really good wide-range uh, podcasts that we're going to be doing. And uh, you can follow us on all of our podcast platforms and obviously our own YouTube uh, channel also. So, uh, again, thanks to our guests. And as we finish every podcast, we always say too much passion is not enough passion.